Well, good afternoon and welcome to the SAS Report podcast featuring interviews and expert insight from leading figures from the SAS community. I'm Richard Grafham and today I'm delighted to be joined again by Bob Apollo from Inflection Point. Um, Bob is a leading authority on outcome-centric selling, helping growing B2B technology companies uh, implement sales strategies that deliver predictable revenue growth. So welcome back, Bob. I hope you're well. I'm very well, Richard. Thank you for inviting me back. Very glad to be here. Excellent. Well, last time we had a a really interesting conversation uh, sort of broadly around, you know, perhaps how sales leaders could use the upcoming recovery to reinvent um, perhaps the way they think about selling rather than dropping back into the traditional methods they've used. Um, And one of the areas we touched on was really a difference between the traditional solution selling and outcome-centric selling. Um, So today, Bob, I just really wanted to perhaps dig a bit deeper into that and explore the the outcome-centric selling approach in a bit more detail um, and perhaps start off by how a sales organization can adopt this approach and what it means to them. Yeah, of course. Um, So what we mean when we talk about uh, outcome-centric selling is that our primary objective is to find, engage, qualify, convince customers that we have solutions that address their business problems, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop there. Um, And the whole idea of outcome-centric selling is that the buying journey isn't over until the customer sees that the outcomes that they were looking for have actually been achieved. And of course, if you think about the dynamics of a SaaS business where if you don't succeed in retaining your customers if they don't renew if they don't see value in what you've provided to them it's extremely hard to you know create a growing profitable business so that focus on outcomes is if anything even more important in the SaaS world than it is in the world of conventional selling where you're basically sort of selling in a one-off way yeah yeah, I mean, the, the traditional way of the, the license sale, um, and you hear some horror stories of that, don't yeah. you, where they were sold huge deals, but they sat on the shelf. Um, it's, in, it's an interesting way, I suppose, of making, you know, as you say, a SaaS-based sale. They need to think about the return of investment throughout the, the sale, not just at the start of the sale. So you know, fr- from that point of view then, I mean, what sort of fundamental changes would a would a sales team have to make? What would you recommend from that standpoint? Well, of course, it depends on where you're starting from. But um, the sort of essential foundations of taking an outcome-centric approach are that you get your target audience very well defined. And by the target audience, I really mean the sort of interplay of four factors. The first one is what business issues are you really good at helping customers solve? They may be problems they need to deal with. They might be opportunities they want to achieve, or they might uh, involve risks that they want to avoid. But one way or another, you need to be really clear about, so what are the handful of key business issues you Mm -hmm. aimed to be really good at helping your customers address? Okay. Second one, and there's a logical sequence to this, is absolute clarity about what an ideal customer looks like. 
and not just thinking about the classic you know size sector and location but thinking about structural and behavioral aspects of uh, you know how the customers operate on a day-to-day -day basis so that's the second element a mm -hmm. real clear ideal customer profile that both sales and marketing align around buy into and so on yeah and do you find the with, with that side of it with the customer looking at that there's there's differences in the their appetite to adopting the technologies is that part of that it, it, it's very much part of the structural and behavioral considerations so mm -hmm. in the very early days of SaaS, if and i've worked with a number of SaaS vendors in those pioneering days um you know, you almost had two sales you needed to complete if you were a SaaS vendor. You needed to persuade the organization that your solution was the right one. But you often, if you were the first SaaS solution in through the door, you had to persuade and educate the customer about the benefits of SaaS. Right. Now, that's less common nowadays, but mm -hmm. it was a major factor in the early days that, you know, you really needed to identify whether they were open, persuadable right. to a SaaS-based approach. And even today, if you know, I work with SaaS vendors, um, there's things like, so is, does the organization really prefer to buy from very established big brands, even if those big brands are not completely state-of-the-art? Mm. Or have they got a track record of buying uh, solutions from best of breed providers. Yeah. And I think I want to understand that as well. Yeah, and do you find that comes as well, you know, countrywide as well, in terms of different countries? I mean, I've spoken to somebody actually today who was in Russia um, and, you know, they've got the challenges around data centers, actually where the data's held, mm -hmm. and it's slightly off topic, but it's interesting, again, looking at if you're trying to sell to somebody in a certain sector, um, and it's there in your vertical, but if they're in the wrong country, that can be a challenge in itself at the exact level. That also, and you know, so I think there are some general characteristics, but we also need to understand what the specific behavior of an individual potential customer mm. is. You know, are they going to be insistent on local data centers, or yeah. are they going to be persuadable that with the right sort of security, we can deliver a perfectly secure yeah. environment for them. Mm, but, you know, yes, it's part of the conversation. It varies by country. It varies by industry. Mm. Um, it varies by maturity of the customer organization. There's a whole number of factors. Yeah. Um, so the third element then is if you've got clarity about the issues and about the types of customer, who are the change agents inside those customers? What sort of roles, what sort of titles are likely to sort of lead the internal charge for change, head the project? Right. Because, you know, if you're reaching out proactively, those are exactly the people you need to target. Mm. And then the fourth area of clarity about targeting is, so what triggers their interest? And that can come from, a variety of sources it might be there are internal changes going on in their organization that trigger a recognition of a need or there might be things that are going on in their marketplace competitive activity uh, legislation what have you mm. or there might just be 
very widespread trends which have just got to a tipping point. Uh, you know, pretty much every potential customer nowadays will say that they've got some sort of digital transformation on. Yeah. But, you know, where are they on the maturity curve? Mm, mm. And are suppose, they yeah. coming up against roadblocks? Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I think the, the, the sort of the old thought process, it, it's not broken. You don't touch it, isn't it? It's almost, isn't it broken? Are, you know, if you're not adopting the latest technologies and trends, you are potentially going to get left behind. So the, I suppose the, the, the role then of the sales organization is to, is to have that clarity through those different points yeah. uh, to make sure then that the, the return of investment, the outcome the customer is looking to achieve, A, is established to start with, and you know what they're sure. looking to achieve. Um, and does, 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 that, does that ever become a moving target? Does they... Well, it can do. I mean, and I think uh, Gartner famously published um, a schematic of how buying decisions happen complex buying decisions in yeah. large organizations and somebody nicknamed it the spaghetti bowl <laughs> so absolutely things change and, and and really salespeople almost ought to assume that if it's a long and complicated sales process something's going to change and you better keep you know your eyes open you better really be aware of of what's going on yeah and when you're in that the, the process, you know, advising, perhaps they're moving into the, the this methodology, but they then need to sort of find that change agent, the people in, internally within the business. Are there, are there ways that they can help ensure they've got the right person, the right sponsor? Because it's sometimes, you, you know, I've heard stories of you get somebody who's very enthusiastic about what you're doing, but are there, are there, is there part of the process that helps qualify that they've actually got the influence at the board well i tell you that's unfortunately such a common thing isn't it this sort mm. of enthusiastic champion that blindsides you to the fact that it isn't them you need to persuade but maybe a bunch of other people mm. so the reason i use the phrase change agent is because ideally you'd want to be working with somebody who's not just enthusiastic about your solution but who's absolutely determined to make the project happen yeah. and who's got the sort of internal respect uh, political connections inside the business mm. to be able to drive the project to a successful conclusion somebody who can mobilize you know their colleagues yeah around the need for change and, and there are some indicators you can use. I strongly advise any salesperson to try and make this judgment. You know, some of, some of it is uh, around, can they talk knowledgeably about other change projects that they've been involved in or that right. they led? Um, and another test is, are they able, if they do buy into what you're doing, to give you access to all of the other key stakeholders in the process. Yeah. So yeah, I think it is absolutely possible to get some pretty clear indicators of whether the person you're trying to rely on um, can act as the sort of, you know, the, the, the real sort of driver or entry point into yeah. the organization. And one last observation, I'd always be really wary, no matter how credible, of relying on a single point of contact because mm. Mm. Single point of contact equals single point of failure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, 
you know, within an organization, I suppose there is going to be impacts across it. So they, you have to have the influence and have those conversations. So again, it's part of that really deep dive qualification on and on opportunity, isn't it? And you have to be able when the time comes to prepare a proposal and, and hopefully actually an internal business case collaboratively mm. with the customer, you've got to go to a point where you can confidently say, and this is the impact on the organization. This is what's in it for the various functions and why they should support it. And this is what's in it for the key stakeholders yeah. and why they should support it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So when, when you meet with an organization and you start this process, I mean, what are the first steps, you know, you recommend a, a, a software or a sales or technology company, B2B sales company takes, you know, how would they perhaps start the adoption? Right. So um, the thing that really ties it together is managing the opportunity pipeline mm -hmm. in a customer centric way. You have to have laid the foundations of targeting the right opportunities of qualifying and so on. But it's really important to abandon the traditional sales stages, qualification, demonstration, proposal, because they actually tell you very little about where, the, where each customer actually is in their decision-making mm -hmm. process. And it's much more productive to establish a handful of pipeline stages that are actually defined by where the buyer or the buying group is in their decision-making journey. Right. Are they at a very early exploratory stage? Are they at a defining stage where they're trying to specify what they're looking for and who they're going to look at? Mm. Are they at the selecting stage where they're actually evaluating a handful of shortlisted options? Are they at the verifying stage where they've kind of worked out what they think their preferred option is, but they might be negotiating terms or they might be um, verifying and validating the vendor's credentials? Mm. And even that doesn't mean that the buying journey is over because very often, if it's a high value, high impact project, even if the project team and the project sponsor wants to go ahead, they're going to have to submit the project for approval. Yeah. Might be by a board, might be by a review committee, might be by the CEO. And, and those are all distinct and important phases mm. in the evolution of the buying journey. So that, that's the, I think the first mindset change is let's agree to manage our pipeline with regard to where each opportunity is in the buying decision process. Yeah. yeah, it's more the customer journey and where they are rather than following your process. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, for, for sure. And I'll give you an example. So um, let's say you meet a customer for the first time and they press you to give them a proposal. You've not done any discovery. You've not done any presentation or demonstration. Under some conventional ways of managing the pipeline, that would look like a very mature opportunity, but it's nothing of the sort. Mm. Um, you know, the buyers ask for a proposal almost as an indicative quote, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Or to benchmark really, what they've got going on behind the scenes. Yeah. It's it really, really important to try and read that. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, 
it's completely easy to do, mm. but it's incredibly valuable yeah. to do it. And then to validate and verify what you know about where the customer is in their, you know, in their journey. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a completely different approach, like you say, and it, it's following the customer journey throughout um, and, and really making sure you've got a qualified pipeline, which again, in this day and age, I think co companies spend a lot of money chasing deals that aren't ever going to go anywhere. And it's frustrating for, for everyone throughout the business, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, I think that's unfortunately common. It was, it was common before COVID. Uh, it happens now. Hopefully it'll happen less often going forward. Yeah. Um, but I really think it's a reflection of the professionalism and discipline mm. of both the sales organization reflected in the sales leadership and in the sales individuals. Mm. Because, you know, my observations of really top performing, consistently good salespeople is they have too much respect for their own time to waste it chasing opportunities that they have no chance of closing. Yeah. They're completely unafraid to qualify out mm. because they know they can spend their time more productively. Yeah. The, the challenge comes with the less confident, the less effective, the, the weaker salespeople who think if I qualify out, it's going to make my pipeline look smaller mm. and my manager's going to, you know, get on top of me yeah. for not having a big enough pipeline. And that's why I suggest it's a leadership issue as well, mm. because I think managers need to think about not just the uh, headline value of a pipeline, but the true quality yeah of that pipeline you yeah. know how much of it's real yeah i suppose that then that eventually comes through on the ratios close to pipeline ratio isn't it and you start going down those conversations and then it it becomes disjointed doesn't it as you say you haven't got clarity yeah. from the leadership through to the sales team and then people can have very big pipelines and they're praised for that but they don't close much and someone with a very small pipeline, which is well qualified or as, as you say, is going around through a different methodology can be a lot, lot stronger. And the time to close is typically much faster on average for a highly qualified pipeline. And in fact, you can visualize it. There are almost two shapes of pipeline. There's the traditional one, which doesn't really narrow down very much until you get to the end of the pipeline. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of bulk in the middle of the pipeline that's actually not going to end up going anywhere other than outwards, sideways. Yeah. And the really good salespeople uh, actually have, um, somebody described it to me, they have a pipeline that looks like a thumbtack. It slopes down very quickly <laughs> at the top of the pipeline. They make intelligent judgments about which opportunities to pursue. They politely and professionally disqualify the ones that don't fit mm. uh, and then they're just way way more effective but if you were to try and uh, just read their pipeline according to the absolute reported value yeah the the top performing salespeople would actually look to have a smaller and you know if you were naive about it you might think uh, a worse pipeline yeah than the ineffective salespeople and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. 
yeah, and that has a huge impact on the forecasting, doesn't it? And the, the for the senior management, the CEO, when they're going to the board and they're talking about potential opportunities, um, and, and that impact we've seen it many times where it, it, it backfires and it causes huge problems throughout the business. Any time you deny the, the truth, it will backfire on you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, any time you ask a salesperson explicitly or implicitly to keep stuff in their pipeline because it will make the pipeline seem, you know, the mm. right size and so on, that comes back to bite you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Bob, that's been uh, really insightful yet again. Um, obviously, we'll be posting this as a podcast, as we discussed before. Uh, are you happy for anyone to reach out to you directly if they want to explore this subject? Oh, uh, 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 of course I am. I, you know, if any of the ideas that we've discussed um, strike a chord with any of the listeners or the viewers, mm -hmm. uh, I'd be very, very happy to strike up a conversation with them. Um, fortunately, I'm fairly easy to find. I think there's one Bob Apollo on Twitter. There's one Bob Apollo on LinkedIn. Excellent. And um, there's a very simple way of booking a call on the inflection point website great stuff I'll, I'll include all the links on the at the end of the uh, podcast and when we put it out but uh, bob again thank you very much for your time today it's been uh, really insightful to just to uh, talk through these subjects no i've enjoyed it uh, as i always do richard thank you for the invitation great stuff thank you very much <laughs>